As queen of the carpool, cruise control is the only control you've had for a long time. Instead of kicking back, your back is constantly being kicked. With the endless traffic, walnut-sized bladders, and snack mom politics, nobody is more eager to know the answer to the constant chorus of, Are we there yet? Sounds like it's time for your victory lap in Las Vegas. You can bring your kids to Vegas, but why would you? Plan your escape at visitlasvegas.com. I know now what I want to say in my intro for my podcast. I'm going to start with a warning to other creatives. Create like it's your last podcast, last graphic, last painting, last blog post. There's so many forces out there that want us to be bland, and that is not possible with this fro. I have too many thoughts about celebrating us, reading what I want to read, pointing out donkeys, what links us together and shouldn't tear us apart. I'll also give you bonus content through Ten Fro's Bar on my Patreon and if you become a melanated nerd. I also will share content about getting the real tea on reality TV. Join me in this episode of Ten Fro is Beating for the Wild Ride. And thank you for listening. As always, I always like to start the show with my um, what my statistics are showing. Um, one, because as I continue to make headways as far as download and unique um, listeners, monthly listeners, I think it gets me closer to having uh, more from the industries, in particular advertisers, um, take uh, notice. I'm sitting here this beautiful Sunday, yeah, Sunday afternoon, and I'm looking over the statistics from um, my views on YouTube as well as on Podbeam. Um, Thank you for all of the people, and iTunes, excuse me. Thank you to all the people that are um, listening and leaving comments Um, in particular. I wanted to, I wonder why I logged out of here. Uh, Most of my new listenership comes from um, iTunes. I'm grateful for it. Um, In particular, James Cook and Carlos Scooper. I love this podcast. I really learn a lot and love to hear it. Love this podcast. Recommend it to everyone I know. Um, Thank you for the kind words and thank you for getting the, hopefully getting the, um, story out or the word out that this is a great podcast to listen to in addition to um, not only navigate to Podbeam, um, but also dot blog um, as I continue my journey along this podcast and continue to monetize. Um, And also the Dale's Angels Inc. blog shop Um, because I have refreshed it with new merchandise, including putting down your thoughts, uh, 
into words. Um, I would love for you to take a look at the Tinfro Bars Journal, as well as the new glass drinkware for those of you that like drinks, as well as um, the new T-shirts, because, you know, who wants to do free? Because I know I don't want to do free. Um, and leave me comments on um, the new refresh and suggested items I should include. And as always, thank you for your listenership. Thank you for your support. Last week, the music world lost one of its greatest performers in the name of Tina Turner, formerly Anna Bullock. I don't, I remember gasping, audibly gasping when I heard of her passing. And I also recollected a conversation I had with my mom um, who is a Dinah Ross <clears throat> of the Supremes lookalike at the time. And she was saying that she didn't really like the rough quality of her voice. Um, definitely not the 80s version of Tina Turner. And she wasn't so much a fan when in the 60s when um, she came on the scene with Ike and Tina Turner and the Ikeettes. But that voice, her energetic style, is what made her great. And in my ode to 62 years of excellence, um, my tribute to her, I basically have Tina Turner-inspired hooks uh, from all of her years, from 1961 all the way through um, 1989. And just starting with Fools in Love, this was released in 1961, and it just brings to mind all of us and all of our that in our relationships we have all done something stupid when you're in love and then I re just recall just how risque the 60s were with free love and everybody just doing their own thing so when in 1969 rock me baby full of sexual connotations of course you won't. They were probably, the FB and the I were probably looking for a way to have that taken off air because you don't want African Americans at that time, not only not to listen to jazz, but not listen to a ex uh, sexually explicit or explosive, even an, an innuendo. I can't imagine her singing that on Ed Sullivan's show, but I'm sure she did. And then you, she rocked and rolled right into Proud Mary uh, and her the signature, I think she wore the signature flame dress uh, in 1970. And it was also probably the height of her abuse from Ike Turner, you know. But she was, at that time, they were still doing remakes and still touring with Fool in Love and Rock Me Baby, but they, she still had a style that was uniquely hers and her voice was, well, how she sang a song um, was uniquely hers. Um, I remember watching What's Love Got To Do With It and her performing that song over and over and over again um, and what it took to probably get that type 
of performance from her and it was it just made it that much greater you know what I mean um, everything that she had gone through from Nutbush Tennessee uh, to St. Louis if you believe the or if you um, followed the autobiography in its um, totality you would then know that her beginnings were humble and it was one of depravity. So, <clears throat> so, and I'm sorry for the massive pause, but background did not define who she was on a molecular level. It didn't define who she was on a spiritual level. Um, she was very open and when her conversion to Buddhism, and I think she was a practicing Buddhist throughout her um, lifetime, not finding the solace and the strength she needed in the Christian faith as it stood. And I think that uh, background and her experience with Buddhism allowed her to, at the age of 45, become a private dancer and transition at that time into rock and roll when everybody was probably telling her, are you crazy? And yeah, she was crazy because she still had more performance in, in her. She still had more to say. She wanted to live life on her terms. Um, no longer dancing the way or singing the way that Ike Turner demanded. She demanded her, the taking over. The only thing she left that marriage was with it was her name. And she recreated her authentic, high energy performing self as on her terms. And she brokered no, and she brokered no fools. I don't know if it was 2017 or 2018 when she basically sold her catalog for $10 million. And I think that was her way of securing some financial freedom for herself um, at the time, as well as some uh, longevity for her family. Um, and I thought the price that she sold it for was just light. but. I'm sure the way they brokered that deal, not only, it was just like that was a down payment and she, her estate would probably still, I'm hopeful that her estate would still get um, royalties from her music as time went on. And even throughout the 80s with What's Love Got To Do With It and then again with um, Let's Stay Together, this was, in itself, her way of, I think, when I think about it, her way of staying together, being true to her art form, staying together with her craft 
and expanding upon it. As she solidified her, she went from R&B soul to the queen of rock and roll, all in a very short period of time. Uh, by the time she retired fully, the legs, the voice solidified her position. And this was, I think, her ode or her symphony to that. So by the time that simply the best was released in 89, we were all there for five short years later. She was selling out stadiums. People were clamoring for her music, not only for her, but um, her performance. And in and of itself, it was itself amazing. And she was um, simply the best, you know? And I don't know how many other people are here for this or here for her love of it or love of her craft. You can hear it in all of her music. Um, this was my feeling and my inspiration um, to this section of not only just black excellence and rock and roll, but just um, my uh, celebrating the life and the music of Tina Turner. I have the feeling she would not want us to dwell on her childhood of depravity, Ike's depravity, but she had, she wanted to make a comeback and did in rock and roll, um, and she gave us over 62 years of pure Tina Turner magic. And this is how I'm going to end my ode to the queen of rock and roll, Tina Turner. Butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. Take a look, it's in a book, a reading tin pro. I can go anywhere. Friends to know, ways to grow, a reading tin pro. A reading tin for a reading tin for One of the things I love is the connections I've been able to make through Matchmaker FM. I call it the um, platonic matchmaker or uh, a hinge for creatives. And through this platform, I've learned several things. Number one, um, I am on the platform. I had it under someone I had hired to be a production manager. And this person didn't even or couldn't even fathom or didn't even try. That's what I think it was. Did not even try to reach out and, exp and expand upon uh, individual or unique reach outs to different guests um, or to even how to get me on different shows. If you, it, what really bugs me in this country is we have so much access to so many things, but people through 
either know, they don't try to basically utilize tools that are, are afforded them. I don't know if, if it's a privileged thing, and it probably is, but I can't understand not even trying. I can't eat, uh, not understand not going full throttle 100%. Also, when you look at my show or when my listeners listen to my show, they have expectations because I basically say at the top of the show what they're going to get. But also people that look like me, even though I think I'm always behind the times, I'm a middle age grouch, but I, my show is based on other more urban shows in this uh, arena. And when you basically admit that you don't, you hardly listen to my show because you're editing it, and then you don't even, are not even aware of other shows like mine to be able to guide me, to be able to, how can I make it in the market and to expand? When you do the bare minimum, but you still want top pay, therein is a problem. We got people, because I don't want this just to be, I've been saying this for months, this needs to move from passion project to paying for itself. That's why I'm refreshing my merch. That's why I'm reaching out and getting even more dope guests on the show to increase the popularity of the show. But what I can't do is I can't support mediocrity. I want my show to be unique and a cut above. And it, it's, I'm not going to be able to kickstand like this fool on Real Housewives of OC. I'm going to basically continue to network to find other creatives like myself that are grinding, um, that are not getting top pay, that are not commercially successful yet, but they are doing the work. And with that said, this creative is doing the work. And I almost lost contact with her because someone that was supposed to be setting it up and following up and actually creating questions that are applicable didn't follow up with her, but she was patient, um, even through Ramadan. This is Safa Shaxi. She's the author of a best-selling series of uh, YA novels, The Alien Busters, which I think is dope now that I'm getting back into writing sci-fi. Maybe I can continue to read some of her uh, books um, and once I get my book published, we can actually commiserate upon it. She, of all places, she contacted me through uh, matchmaker.fm. Um, she's originally from Muscat, Oman. She graduated from the Higher College of Technology with honors and Shati High School in Muscat. Um, she, as I said, she's a YA novelist and she writes poetry. At the early age, her love of stories began with Enid Blyton's books. She discovered the magic of fiction through at age of 22 when she received as a gift, Delirium by Lauren Oliver. And I asked her, you know, why so late to get in that book? It wasn't 
just, it was given to her as a gift, but she had been reading fiction long before that. That was my misunderstanding. Um, she lives in a pretty restrictive, uh, religious country, but that hasn't restricted her creativity. She says she, how is it being a female creative in her country? She says it's great. She gets a lot of support by everyone. She does not write under a pseudonym and she is showing that even in, there's so many people and there's so many wonderfully uh, talented creative people in this country. And I'm reading to you questions uh, that I had formulated for her and she wrote me back because we couldn't connect through Zoom because it was Ramadan and Ramadan is fasting and prayer. And doing this interview, because it is free, was not at the top of her needs or wants. But I wish that I have a picture of her up on the, uh, as part of the clip for this uh, particular part of the episode. But she has these soulful eyes and she is so gorgeous. She's an author. I wish she could have read the favorite excerpt from her book, The Fourth Reason, and with the links being um, also in the podcast note. It says, I tripped on my way to the bridge edge and climbed the wall of the New York Bridge. I saw the water stream down below and my heart was beating so fast in my chest. Sweat trickled down my forehead and exhaled and exhale as I stared at the rocks in the river below my feet. There were people who stopped their cars to take a picture of me at the bridge. I heard some of them shout at me and beg me not to jump off the bridge, but it was too late. I don't know. I guess I should have did a, a warning. I'm not sure what happened to this character, but I'm going, that's going to be one of the reasons why I'm going to have to read this book. She had told us that she, I thought I saw where she thought that may be the book to basically start with. Uh, because she's written like 12 different, um, 12 different books. Um, and I think if it's as interesting and as provocative as that one excerpt, this book is going to be a wild ride. So this is again, Safa Shaxi and she says the New York bridge, which does not exist. There is a bridge that exists, many bridges that exist in New York City. Um, and I forgot to ask her this follow-up question, which I will promise you guys that I will follow up um, if she's actually been to the United States and New York in particular. So I spoke to Safa uh, this morning, or she wrote me back, um, and I wanted to do a little bit more justice to the fourth reason. She actually releases 
back in um, June of 2022. And that quote comes from a mentally unstable Amal Mati. Excuse me. Yes, that's the main character of her book, who is working in a small restaurant in New York City um, and who has aspirations and dreams of other things, but an untimed pregnancy, untimely pregnancy. Um, and she having her own struggle with mental health, it appears also, according to the review, her Amal's mother also has struggles with mental health. Um, I don't know if she actually jumped, meaning did she actually jump off that bridge in New York City? Um, I, I'm not going to know until I actually read the book, which I'm probably going um, to read on my Kindle or start to read it. Um, but I did confirm because I was like, huh, I wonder she has written so many books in this uh, particular book appears to be in New York City, but she's never, ever been to the United States, according to her. She answered promptly this morning and confirmed what I thought. Um, no, she does not. She's never visited, but she would like to go. I'm hopeful that with the success of all of her books, that she will be able to grace us with her presence um, just at a later date. Mad kudos to Safa Shaxi. Um, and I hope I did her words justice on this segment of the podcast. Again, mad shout out to matchmaker.fm, the platonic uh, platform for matching creatives. In this next section, it is part of a larger or a more rambling conversation with another podcaster from the immigrant experience, um, Simone Johnson Smith. We talk about many things. We talk about wanting to be a positive light or a positive pathway to healing. Um, and in this first installment, we take a deeper dive into our similar journeys. Uh, she's, uh, her family's originally from Jamaica. Um, and my experience with being a person of color in the South in this age and the challenges there are and what needs to be done and to let the healing begin. Again, stay tuned for other installments of this greater conversation with Simone Johnson Smith. Life is a journey. You're on the journey of discovery, right? And exactly. it's something that you probably needed to do. Oh, you have more information, yes? Exactly. I have more miles and stuff to do short term. I don't do hotels. I don't do that kind of stuff anymore. I'll do an Airbnb, but being in somebody else's, like their rented space is for the birds. If I can get there, drive there, I'm good. So yes, yes, yes. And I can stay in my own space, which is like a smaller space of my house here in Tennessee. So Awesome. Awesome. What is it like in Tennessee? I've driven through it, but I, I know it, music is big, right? Um, is it country and is it's, it the Ryman? Is the Ryman theater there? Um, the Ryman is actually in Western Tennessee in Nashville. I'm okay. in what they call Chattahoochee. I'm in Chattanooga. Like I'm literally, uh, 
uh, about an hour, about two hours and 40 minutes in Atlanta traffic up I-75 North. Okay, um, okay. And there is, except for, there's an older theater here that is not like the Grand Ole Opry or the Ryman in Nashville. And it doesn't have, we, it's like a, the, we have the flavor of Memphis, but a lot, and but different types of music here, um, here in Chattanooga. It's like a really a nice mesh with a, a, a very hippie, uh, buppy bass here in Chattanooga. Um, I think I've been to all th- these three cities and you would think it's, it's like, I always say this, it's like Atlanta and then there's the rest of Georgia. That's how I kind of feel about the three cities here in Tennessee. You probably can fit all three of the cities in Atlanta, but they all have their own type of flavor. Um, to get back to your question, Country, of course, is big, but a lot of uh, top 40 um, hip hop, uh, grunge. There's a huge classical uh, music scene, believe it or not, here. And it's just all genres are represented and are respected, I think, here. You know? Wow. Wow. Yes. And being probably one of the most highly wired in Tennessee actually helps us have access to a lot of different things that you wouldn't think somebody in a small Southern town would actually have access to. So. Yes. Yes. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yes. That's what I, with my, you know, I'm learning as, as an immigrant American coming from outside, there is so much to learn about the U S and it, it you live in one part of the country, you learn that city. And um, I've lived in like very international spaces like in the dc area then philadelphia mm-hmm. no in atlanta where there's like people from everywhere and so you're exactly. constantly i know people are saying code switching is there's conversations out there that code switching isn't a good thing that you need to be able to just remain like a level plane of who you are but the truth is when you deal with people from all over the world you do need to know their culture and and how to build rapport and so it's a constant code switching <laughs> and i learn i i'm constantly in a learning phase like honestly so um yes i don't i haven't necessarily been into tennessee but i've driven through on my way going um going to another city. Um, but I, I know just barely that music is big, big in the state. So music, um, folk art, the whole, anything creative is big really in the cities and in, in Tennessee and having a, a genuine respect, how people can express their differences when there seems to be forces that want all of us to be beige. You know, they all they all want us to be like colorblind and you just assimilate. But the richness of experience, if we all assimilate it, we all of that would be lost, I think. And I don't think. But it's not I don't see how that's going to really happen, though. It's interestingly, I had a conversation yesterday Mm. and I listened to another podcast called um, it's kind of related about immigrants and culture. It's called Immigrantly. And she had an interview on there with a gentleman who was saying he's from Egypt and uh, he's had to learn the language. He's had to learn so much. He lives in New York. And he's been, he has a, um, a TikTok show called run, keep the meter running. 
Keep the meter uh, running. Oh, wow. Basically, he goes into different cabs and he says, I'll pay you. Just keep the meter running. Where around the city would you take me that you think I have to have the experience of this place, whether it's a restaurant or some location? And he have these cab drivers just keep running the meter and take that. He's been to some amazing places and he's just experiencing New York on another level. Right. And so, but he says that in his perspective, what he's come to understand is that the U.S. is the place where you come to forget who you are, because this is basically the idea of just a melting and you just forget your culture and you leave everything behind. But the thing about it is I can't really put my finger on what is the American culture. It's not one thing because we are a diverse set of people coming from different countries. We're a country of immigrants. And, um, you know, we, 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 yes, we have the native people, they have their culture. And I know the past of slavery and people who are, you know, forcibly, um, brought here. There's still a culture within that. So I don't quite understand how we are going to, um, forget all that because it's a part of who we are. This is how we express ourselves as people on the earth. So, um, exactly. We, we can't have you. I think that is a uniquely American experience. We, if once you basically, you can't categorize what is that culture until you go like that cab driver, um, the cab experience, because what makes a New York experience is experiencing all types of different cultures. That's uniquely American. You can be in one very small place and they say, take me to a place where if I'm in New York, I have to experience it. And it 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 is based on a culture that has been transported here from somewhere else. And being recognizing that and and being proud of that is, is key. As the fourth season of Frank on the Front rages on, Things are about to get controversial. Join me on Podbean every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, where I'll be hosting a weekly call-in show in which callers are allowed to air their grouse on a wide range of current affairs and social issues. From existentialism to human sociology to conspiracy theories, I ask the tough questions and explore a different rabbit hole each week. The edited version of each live recording will be released as a podcast episode later that week on Sunday, available wherever you get your podcasts. So that's Frank at the Front Live, an audio file for audiophiles, Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, exclusively on Podbean. One love. with PG&E. If you see a downed power line, stay away from it and keep others away. Call 911. Let our first responders come out and handle it. Police and fire will respond as well as PG&E. To learn more, visit pge.com safety. At Fogogichon, everything you see is yours for the tasting. All the exotic fruits and fresh salads from the market table, all the perfectly sliced picanha and tender lamb chops, fire-roasted and seasoned with rock salt. And every buttery slice of filet mignon, so unbelievably tender, you'll wonder, is it on your fork or in your dreams? 
Have it all for one price with the full churrasco. Make a reservation at fogo.com. I wanted to just insert this as a reminder that the bonus episode will drop either Thursday or Friday. I talk about everything space from NASA, uh, great tech, what I'm eating and drinking, as well as everything from the Star Trek universe. Also, I have my favorite part, Tin Fro's bar uh, shop talk, where I talk about uh, upcoming draft, uh, everything Dallas Cowboys, you name it, about sports and sports adjacent, I talk about. Don't forget to navigate to my premium channel, Tin Fro's Bar, before it goes behind the paywall. Become a patron on Patreon, subscribe, drop a sister a tip, and you too will have full access to all of the episodes as they become available. And thank you for joining or listening. The Shade Bunch, the Shade Bunch. I hope turning up for checks to pay for fake lifestyles were to be a part of the Shady Bunch. Okay. I am a reality, unreality TV watcher. I can't make it up. It, it, it grabs you by the throat and you keep watching. And a lot of times... You just be rage watching. But I'm more of the Real Housewives Potomac and Atlanta spill and uh, love and hip-hop series, preferably Atlanta. So New Jersey, OC, Beverly Hills, New York, New Jersey, Miami, eh. I I wasn't too impressed with it and I'm still mad about season seven of Potomac because season five was the best and they ran Monique up out of there they let Giselle produce that false narrative and then now and I don't watch Huntsville even though Carlos King was the producer of Real Housewives of Atlanta for eight season, and now Martell from Huntsville is on Atlanta for season fifteen. It's not looking that good, and I think they the producers are setting up um Sheree, girl, you in danger. However, say all that to say I did not start watching Vanderpump Rules until, again, Carlos King, I don't consider myself a raindrop, but when he started raging about Todd Scamdevall, when that had a meltdown, when Tom Sandoval showed up on Howie Mandel's show against the wishes of the producers of Bravo, And now it's been revealed that he cheated on his long-term girlfriend, Ariana. And I'm watching 
this episode it's like episode 14 like halfway through the series and who he cheated on her with was one of Ariana's good friends Rachel she's all up in Rachel's face she's all she's always stirring the pot at the entire time she is screwing this pit face white boy what in the white privilege is going on here am I missing something because this porno star looking mf ain't all that. And y'all, and, and they all are playing in our faces. Like, she's like, so innocent. I can't understand why y'all don't like me and why I can't screw this guy and get away with it and still go on and you eat my overpriced sandwiches. Again, what is going on here? Are those sandwiches laced in gold? And why am I so enraged by people I don't know? But it's entertaining because this BS is not happening to me. And I can comment on it, sit in my bed and comment on it just because. Oh, y'all suck. Todd Tucker called it. Was it when? Was it two years ago? It was exactly two years ago that Todd Tucker called your thirst out, Marlo Hampton. I'm talking about Real Housewives of Atlanta. When it was revealed that at the time that he waited and talked, oh, this was years ago, OMG, because I think Ace is now six. This was six years ago, and six or seven years ago, because that little boy, maybe eight years ago, the thirst was real. And Todd called it out how you paid to be on the show. And now I'm watching this shit and you are supposedly calling out Candies for not wanting to talk about painful subject. Try to talk about shit. You know why? Because it don't matter. Nobody cares, really. You are trying to make a moment of your, yourself. I am so sorry your relative died in 2020. But what's real is Melvin, the son, the kid, her relative, Candy Burris' relative, that she took in when her child, when she, her baby was a baby, raised, came back to be a manager in OLG, a different employee came in drunk and shot him in 2022. Two years after your relative was killed in his house. Are you fucking kidding me? She really, what does that have to do with anything? Why does she have to talk about that now in the, in the then of the unreality TV at the time y'all were shooting? She doesn't have to fall apart. She doesn't have to give win to any of that. She had nothing to do with him being shot by his roommate in their house. The only degree of separation is because she, he worked as a sous chef in one of her restaurants. Girl, bye. I'm so tired of the y'all trying to make a moment out of 15 cents. That's why you need to get up off the show. You are too thirsty. You are too desperate. 
and I'm tired. I'm so tired. Yes, I am a candy burst to stand. I'm not so sure. You want to make a moment spelling the archive wrong. There ain't no E in the archive, as Kenya Moore and Sonya pointed out. And I'm a Kenya Moore stan, and I'm wondering why she is not aging at all. I know black don't crack, but damn, girl. I'm so looking forward to how she performs in the classic. But this bullshit, manufacturer bullshit, you need to be put off off the shelf. They need to retract your peach, make cobbler, and kick your ass back to whatever old white dude you were screwing six seasons ago because I'm tired. I'm so tired. And I don't understand why you are so bit out of shape because she don't give time to a relative that died two years ago. Your relative with her own relative, she re- she related to Melvin. She raised them. Why does she need to dwell on your relative, you emotional vampire? The thirst is real and I'm tired. The get back train is real, and I think the producers are setting y'all up. This is me and my take on this episode of Real Housewives of Atlanta. I've noticed several things. I've noticed that the tone of the show has gotten weird in the last couple of years. There have been a few additions, full-time additions to the cast, that have got me thinking, hmm. Um, I think certain story arcs need to be explored more because of the truth in it. I think when it was at its peak, right around <laughs> right around the time that Portia divorced her husband and dragged Kenyon. there was an authenticity to the show believe it or not and I'm the biggest proponent of the unreality of reality TV and it wasn't scripted it didn't feel contrived it just felt real in that moment Um, but this contrived mean girl orchestrated getting back at people it, in an effort to make good TV, you don't need, it doesn't seem you have to try that hard. When you're actually filming conflict, the best thing is the surprise of it all. When you catch someone in a real moment and it's not someone building up to a moment. That's what it feels like with this Courtney bitch and Marlo. And that is what is getting on my nerves. I think they did it to the detriment of the show all last season on Potomac. And when the the balance of it would have been is also filming a truly contrite Monique. Let me back up. The last time... Potomac felt real was when Monique Samuels was on that show. The last couple of seasons of the show with Karen's delusions, 
with the, all the faults and the false narratives, even with Michael Darby and his swarmy ass, at least when they got, when they were caught in those situations and they were being realistic and the tension was there because the cameras were rolling, when he, that felt more authentic than all of the contrived stuff and leaving off uh, Juan's infidelities and his issues at his job. That, to me, would have been more authentic and because we're invested in having a, 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 a bird's eye view of these people and their lives and their relationship. That's why people watch the show. But when you got to contrive and twist and lie, the last person that tried to that get back ish and then changed and then out and out lied about it, she's no longer with the franchise. That's poor, that's a Phaedra Parks. Um, so with that said, I think if this the last few episodes are any indication and in who they're given time to. Y'all need to be very careful because you're going to start losing fans because it just seems like they are doing the most, not only to get seen time, because I understand you don't, if you don't get, uh, you don't, you're not in a scene or it's not uh, premiered or broadcast, you don't get paid. But if you have to keep making up and pressing a point when it doesn't really matter, and you do it at the expense of trying to do it at the expense of someone else, you are probably going to be out of a job. And you got to look at what does that mean? Because once you get kicked off the show, um, it's really, really difficult to come back unless you're asked and to do any other work elsewhere. So you need this franchise more than the franchise need you. I mean, look at NeNe Leakes. You know, she basically wanted people or kept saying that y'all need me, y'all need me. Nah, you actually don't. You were paid to be a personality. And we knew some mess and some tension was going to follow. But when you didn't want to play ball, we ain't going to pay you. And you're not going to be recognized in because it's going to only be in your own mind. I believe that Bravo lives rent free in her head because they don't have to pay her jack unless she has some back end deal. When people like me stream this show uh, over and over and over again, and I re the reason why I streamed the other uh, episodes because up until year twelve, the show was actually really good. It wasn't until they introduced people like Drew. Sonia, I think she's going to get there and she's not, she's not trying hard to have conflict. She says some crazy stuff and I think, and she may be the unintended bone collector, but just her, the way she does it and she's so naive with it and it's so, it can be, it catches you off guard, but out of all the people on the show, I may become a Sonya Stan, but if she gets caught up with some mess with Marlo, um, 
I think that's going to be a real big issue. And at Courtney, I don't trust her. They are thirsty so much for screen time and for making, for being that one that why can't they just be good and kind and supportive like Monietta? Why does this Courtney try have to try so hard by being mean and nasty? It's a setup. And I don't know. I'm, I don't think I have it within me or the patience to hate watch if that bitch is going to turn up. She don't even have a peach. And Marlo's at risk for losing her peach because she keeps doing this crazy stuff. I'm going to keep warning you. As a warning, if you want some real get back for screen time and you want people to apologize and keep apologizing and do the most because of what happened to a distant family member two years ago, that is a setup and it's not even new. That is not even fresh. What I would be interested in is what happened to Melvis and following that story arc, because that would seem more interesting to me. except if it's an open case and then Candy and them are refusing to or they can't talk about her. They're refusing to talk about it or film. I'm more interested in that. I'm more interested in if uh, Todd's screenplay gets the light of day or if it flops. That is more interesting to me. What to do after escape? What are they doing after you know, he stops, they stop doing the play. If she gets a Tony, that is the kind of thing I'm most interested in. I'm, I have no non-zero interest in the turn up or her barking about something that they did three years ago, or we had a, a, a conversation in Savannah four seasons ago. I don't care. I'm really not caring. What I am more interested in is how old is Kenya Moore? Because she's getting ready to perform at the classic and she looks amazing. Her, the hairography, the, the, the turn up, the bounce, the twerk. She looks amazing. I think we're the same age and, and she makes, and I look and feel like a frumpy old fat lady. But I think we are the same age. I think she's dope. I I can't wait to see her at the classic. But all of the nonsense around it is typical uh, fallout from being the Kenya of it all, from them getting kicked out of the cocktail party. This 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 is the only part of this week's episode that I thoroughly enjoyed. I did not, I felt sad or sorry for Sonia and the sis, her own sister and the brother-in-law quitting as her assistant because now she is um, being a bitch. She's doing the most. Um, and then her Ross kicking everybody out the house. He's like, you got to go. Bye. <laughs> That's funny as crap. And it's so realistic because I can see it. I want my house back. There's like 800 people in that house. And he wants his house back and he has a right to. And that's real. I'm interested in following up on that. I'm interested in they beating on Kenya's door like they the police and her daughter's there. She going to go complete bug booty ratchet on their behinds. 
Um, but I really want to see her perform at the classic because I think that's going to be pretty dope. Um, but this get back at candy for you thirsty for her life and her success and you want her to pay you back for what? I don't care. I literally don't care. I think they could have probably did more with, and it just seems like that they can't understand why Candy won't go out uh, because it's just, it would never be enough. And Marlo making the point in the beginning of the show that she's supposed to be worldwide, but she never helped me get um, my right to bear arms back. She, why does she have to do that? I, I don't understand. What, why does Candy Burris owe you the world? She doesn't have to carry or bring up anybody. She can, she only has to help. Again, I am a Candy Burris stand, but I'm, I'm the, but this, the, the, how dare you put it on for friendships, uh, for her to use her clout to better you for what? Why does she have to do that? Y'all aren't related. I think you distantly dated one of her godsons or her relatives back in the day, but she doesn't owe you Jack. No, neither do anybody else on the planet. Definitely not within Bravo Spear. So you having this bug and flea in your ear because she won't do or help you that way that's on you and you need to get the freak over it. So, but that's how I'm going to end this episode or this segment of my, of the episode. Um, also just mentioning the whole potential for Kim Bierman to come back minus her wigs. Cause evidently they broke and she's having to sell her hair. I remember her saying that she had a hair piece for every single day of the year and they were almost two, $300 a piece. Okay, that's seven, maybe what, $7,000 a month she was spending on just had hair pieces. But who wants to use used hair? Or who wants used hair? Even if it is associated with Kim. So, and didn't Derek J, one of the stylists on the show, get sued for his client alleging that he she was using old hair on her. Nobody wants your hair, Kim. And it's very sad that Croy and you are splitting up. I feel bad for your kids. I don't know if either one of you are fit to have them. And, the, and if he was doing weed, it was to, he had to be mellow because you were so crazy. All the money issues are are, are from um, overspending and gambling, and it's obvious you're not good at it because you're thousands, maybe millions in the hole. She may have to get a job. She can't. She ain't having no more kids. He ain't playing ball, and all the money's gone, and you don't have any income. And if she comes back to Atlanta again, I would be really disappointed. Because if she comes back, Mimi's going to have to come back. And their conflict of, oh, and maybe, oh, they're going to have to bring back Cynthia too. I would rather see the other housewives in their authentic selves versus 
this cast of people that are contriving moments. If you're going to refresh the brand to get it back to where it was, you're going to need more of the OGs because these fools, these core fools that are on it now, that either they need help or they need to get the hell on. I think Drew is, Sedora is delusional. I don't think she is as talented as Candid's. Um, I think, and they're getting ready to get divorced. She needs to get, I hate Ralph because I think he's fake. He's worse than Tommy. And he ain't funny like that character was. I think Sonya, her and Aaron or Ross are two white bread. They really are just really even kill. That little boy is funny, but he's bad though. Oof. But I like her family. Um, but I don't know. Kind of boring, but they're good though. I think Mon- I want to see more from Monetta and Heath. I want to see and less of Marlo and that Courtney Ho. I'm not sure of Sheree because I think she stirs the pot and I think her and, but I think it's going to be interesting to find out how she's going to approach addressing her fibroids at her age, but her body is sick. Too bad she can't dance and twerk and throw it in a circle like Kenya, but I'm kind of there to see how she deals with that. That's real life issues, but I would rather see how they interact with each other. I don't see her filming and going through that because I don't know of her relationship, authentic relationship between any of her and the women. What made the previous seasons um, satisfying and interesting was a genuine connection between the women. Like uh, we started seeing it with Candy and Kenya. We saw it with Kenya and um, Cynthia, um, Cynthia and Mimi. Um, and all of the interactions, Portia and everybody else, when they went through stuff together, even when they went to get colonics together, that made was the, the authentic of their connection between each other um, and, and knowing that they used to text each other off camp. You know, that made it, it made it seem real. So the time that they were on camera, it was truly interesting and um, provocative and you wanted to see what would happen next. What they're doing now and all this separation and this screen grab time seems more contrived than usual in unreality TV. And it just makes for it to be very boring because I've watched it now twice and I'm seeing stuff anew and I'm like, man, I could have stayed asleep for this, but so be it. Um, There's a couple of storylines that I'm interested in following out. Um, I don't know. This one seemed to be better than at least the first one, because that was completely contrived. And a real Kenya Moore hair care moment at the classic. Oh, I'm here for that. I can't wait till next week's or next episode. This episode maybe could have been a little bit better. Um, I could have saw less of Marlo and that Courtney bitch, but who knows? I don't pay these people check. I just give my opinion on it on the show. And that's it for this episode of Ten Fro is Reading. You know, I talked cash-ish all last year. 
I hope the listening audience will continue to enjoy my opinion and not so subtle shade. I mean, I'm 2,000 listeners per episode in, so go run tell that haters. I may take it on the road if I get hint hint sponsorship. Navigate to dalesangelsinc.blog for swag and extended podcast notes. Don't forget to hit like or leave a five-star review. It gets me on top of the algorithms and it may just get you on my show. 2023's motto is boss up and get the bag. And as always, tell a friend and thank you for listening. More is more at Pandora Jewelry, where you'll find beautiful hand-finished pieces perfect for creating stacks of self-expression. Collect charms, stack bracelets, and layer necklaces to design a look that's uniquely you. Start with the piece you love, then stack and style it your way and show the world something about you. Shop Pandora Jewelry now. Shop Pandora Jewelry at St. John Town Center, Jacksonville. 